Yo, 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 welcome to the Coach's Box. Thank you for stepping in for another episode. I'm your host, Coach JP3, joined tonight by Coach Natty T and the real Coach K. All right, we got a little bit of soccer, a little bit of documentary, some takeaways from the Malice at the Palace doc. Uh, no kidding around with Jason Kidd. Some stuff came out about the biography uh, for Giannis. Man, what's going on there? We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're talking a little bit about NBA free agency. And who was the most exciting player to watch between Barry Sanders, Mike Vick, and Lamar Jackson? That's tough. That's tough right there, right? We're going to talk about all that today. But first and foremost, we're going to talk a little soccer. Natty, what's going on with PSG and Messi? Yeah, man. So um, as you all know and as the viewers know, I'm a PSG fan. So very exciting news that Messi actually signed with them this week. Um, I'm still in shock to be quite honest with you. Like I saw the press conference, I saw him sign the contract and like, I, I still don't really believe it until they, he actually plays his first game. Like I still feel like somebody else is going to swoop in and be like, oh, they, he backed out. Cause it's just so unbelievable that they actually pulled this off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, um, from an expectation standpoint, um, you know, it's really Champions League or bust, really. Um, they should win it. They better win it. Um, and I think the other residual effects of it is for the French League itself, um, <laughs> for our, our international viewers, the French League is known as a Farmers League because basically... <laughs> In, in the world of, in, in the soccer world or the football world, um, the French league is known to kind of have good young players and then they sell them off to either England or Spain or Italy. So that's why it's known as a farmer's league because they're good at growing players, but not necessarily bringing players in. But this kind of changes that narrative a little bit. Um, and I thought it's interesting that out of all the clubs that he could have picked, he chose PSG, which is very interesting. Um, because PSG is not a necessarily a traditional powerhouse per se. They're kind of new in terms of being in this super team conversation or super club conversation. Ownership has a lot of a lot of money. Um, and mainly my last takeaway from it is for Killian Mbappe because mm-hmm. it's going to be Neymar. Messi, Killian Mbappe, that's going to be your starting forward, which starting forwards, which is just I, I still can't even comprehend that in my brain because that's just unbelievable. Um, but as much as I like Killian and as great as a player that he is, and he's even going to be, he's been getting on my nerves a little bit. He's been a bit spoiled bratish a little bit. So bringing a guy like Messi in who's the GOAT and you can go back and forth with him and Cristiano Ronaldo, but you know, he's that dude. So when he comes in there with his sort of approach and just his presence kind of brings a different element of seriousness to all the other players and it raises everybody else's play, whether it's in training on the field, him just being there just raises the level of everybody else. So I, I'm 
played together at Barcelona. They won Champions League together. So um, I think they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, re really, really excited. I, again, I, I'm still, I'm still in shock because I just can't believe they pulled it. Yeah, man, that's that's crazy. So. I, that's that's pretty much it for me. I, I just had to, you know, as, as a PSG fan, I just had to give my two cents there because I'll be definitely weighing in a lot on them because I do have I do have access to watch their game. Pretty much every one of their games mm -hmm. on PSG. Man, I'm looking because I'm looking at this. I put up the roster. I was like, man, I was like, first three names: Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. Uh, you got Sergio Ramos's defense. I'm like, like, who's going to be able to beat these dudes? Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Sergio Ramos, because he's a legend. He was a legend at Real Madrid. He, he's one of the best defenders of all time. He's older, but you know, still, you know that that experience that gives you there. Um, Marquinhos, uh, Marquimi. So they just brought him in from Inter Milan, and he's arguably the best left wing back in the world right now, arguably, or at least top five. So they just bought him as well. Um, and then the goalkeeper from Italy that just won the Euros. And, you know, he saved two of the three, two of the four penalty kicks against England in the championship game. They bought him too. They bought him before the tournament started. So he's their mm -hmm. to say the least. So we'll we'll see how things turn out. But yeah. I'm excited, man. Again, I, I still I still can't believe it. I, I can't believe they pulled it off. It's unbelievable. That's a heist right there. Man. It's it's it's, it's low-key heist, man. Thanks. It's like having uh LeBron, KD, and Kawhi Leonard like on the same You know what? You know actually what it would be like? It's yeah, LeBron, KD, and Luca. Luca, yeah. Because yeah that that's what it's like because you really have because because killian is 21 mm. he's 34 so like you really have like two guys that are in their in in their you know on the verge of being like a super superstar like that's what that's imagine lebron kd and luca on the same team that's crazy. I, um, yeah, that's they're gonna be fun to watch for sure. Yeah, as, as long as they're on the same team on the Bulls. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, but that's all I got. That's, I just, I had to get my two cents on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we're gonna switch gears from soccer to, you know, a great documentary, if I must say, you know, Untold Malice at the Palace. Mm -hmm on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, please do. Uh, you know, I think we're going to share some of our takeaways from that. Um, it, it was just very well put together. It's not a long one either. So it's a pretty, it's an easy watch for folks that don't have a lot of time, but we're just going to kind of go through our, our takeaways, our main takeaways from, from the documentary. We'll start with you, Coach K. Um, as you watch Malice at the Palace, what were some of the things that you took away from the documentary? Um, one of the things, one of the first things I kind of, before the, before the malice and the policy even happened, 
one thing I took away was just like the mental health of like NBA stars at that time. I guess specifically, uh, specifically um, Ron Artest because I don't know, like he he just talked about how like he couldn't deal with certain things, and you know he was trying to do the whole music thing too. And I was just like, man, like I mean, it just lets you know, like it's it's not just a pro, it's not it's been a it's been been a uh, problem not just now but also like back in the day. I just thought, I think now it's just kind of making its way to the forefront. Um, and so, I mean, just, I mean, just like the, the, you know, how he tried to escape the different issues going on, but then like, you know, this man like totally just asked for a trade, went to a whole new team, like didn't even tell any of the players after you had people come and back you up, like in the situation, like, so. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it sounds like he's still dealing with that too. You know, I mean, but that that really messed up, uh, really messed it up for certain people. I mean, Reggie didn't get a ring, like, and that's all that's tied to his career. Like, um, you know, Jermaine or Jermaine O'Neal, like, you know, a lot of a lot of that got blamed on him, and you know, he didn't he really didn't do nothing. Um, I mean, Steven Jackson still got his ring, but, right. you know, <laughs> so I guess, I don't know. I guess I can understand why he, I wish he would do that a little bit better, but I mean, I could, I guess I can understand why you want to go to, I mean, we laugh about it, but, you know, he changed his name to Metal World Peace and different things, but, you know. You know, that makes um, much more sense after watching the documentary. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, because, like, when I first heard that, I was just like, man, what's wrong with this dude? But, you know, um, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Um, also, just, like, man, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I used to – I used to love – like, the only Pistons team I ever liked was, like, the Pistons bad boys. Like, I, I could not stand, like – um, the Rashid Ben Wallace, Rip Hamilton, like Chauncey Billups, like I hated these guys. Hated these guys because, like, I, I wanted to see, like, I mean, Gary Payton got his ring, mm-hmm. but you know, like, this was a time where you know I just started watching the Lakers, and then like Shaq gets traded, and I'm like, bro, like, so, you know, like that was that was the beginning of of the Shaq Kobe breakup, like this lost in the championship right here and I was, and like just seeing like I think it just furthers my hate even more because um just like just I hate the Piston fan base bro can't stand them like it's just like there's I can't stand them at all <laughs> like I hate these guys um so it's this documentary definitely solidified my hate of the, the entire Pistons fan base um, <laughs> I mean, that's really, you know, um, I think at this time, it's just like, it's, it's a shame that, um, you know, I feel like there are a lot of stereotypes, um, and like labels got placed on mm-hmm. the NBA that was very, that was unnecessary. Like, and, and like David Stern did nothing to defend the NBA players at all. 
Like this man, this man, uh, some words I can't say on the podcast, but you know, like this, this man is, uh, he's a bigger snake than, than Kevin Durant. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to say. Like, you know, like there's no fan culpability. I mean, even the, I, I was just glad to see at least they brought in a prosecutor to, you know, somebody to do the investigation and kind of see like who was really at fault and like, see like where it kind of escalated. Like even the judge, like, you know, was looking at things from different angles and said, you know, it was, it was the, you know, the fan through the cup. And so like, you know, I think Stern definitely should have did a better job of holding like fans accountable for, for what was going on. Cause like you had people showing up on the court for no reason. Of course they're going to get blasted. <laughs> like that's exactly what I would do. Like there's no reason for a fan ever to come out onto the court ever during during the course of an NBA basketball game. Uh, the security there was like what three police officers in the, in the facility at the time. Um, yeah, so security is trash. <laughs> like, no, like, we got three police officers. <laughs> yeah. 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 That don't even sound um, right. Like, what were, what were you thinking? I don't know. Yeah. Set up from the beginning. Man. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It was set up. Um. So, <laughs> uh, I'm under. I forget who was the player that told um told uh Artest he could get his foul now. Jamal Tinsley's stupid behind. <laughs> He's an idiot. He's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and they had to have known that I'm assuming, like, you just don't, I'm assuming, I don't know, like, I and I, I, I feel like they had to have known something about Ben Wallace, like, losing his brother. So, man was already amped up. Ain't no reason to, to foul to do, you know, and you're already up by a considerable margin. So, I don't know. Jamal Tinsley, yeah, he can, whatever. Big Um <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I don't know. And I think that my last and final takeaway, I don't want to go too far, um, go too much longer, but uh just the effect that it had on like people's careers. I mean, just like the labels that got I mean, like you had you just had like some people who couldn't deal with it, like um you know, like I mean, it, it made Reggie retire pretty much because, I mean, because, you know, when you get what our test out for the rest of the season, O'Neal getting suspended for, like, what, 25 games? And then uh, um, Steven Jackson getting suspended for, like, 30 games. I mean, that that's a wrap right there. I mean, like. Yeah, that's the season. Yeah. Done. Is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so and it's 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 just a shame that you know we we got robbed, we possibly got robbed of like what could have been like a career defining moment for, you know Reggie Miller and like, you know Jermaine O'Neal, uh, just pretty much like what we're gonna what we take away is you know not what could have been what but actually what happened. Mm-hmm. So and you know it's a shame that that happened, but. You know, at, at the same time, like, I still appreciate Reggie for what he gave us. Um, I feel bad for Jermaine O'Neal, but, you know, I'm, I, I didn't really watch him like that. 
Because, I mean, I, at this time, I was more of a Lakers fan. But yeah. Bulls slash Lakers. I was, I was a Lakers fan. Um, but, yeah. So. But it's – now, I just I just wish things could have turned out differently or, you know. And, and David Stern definitely should not have been the judge, the jury, and the, and the prosecutor. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Those are good takeaways. Coach Natty, yeah. I know you said yeah. a bunch of takeaways in the chat, and I, I'll tell the audience here, as I was watching the documentary, I was looking through Coach Natty T's checklist, and I was like, yep, check, check, yep, that's it, yep, true, true statement. Share with us some of your takeaways as well. Yeah, so, yeah, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, then, you know, you may want to pause the podcast right now, watch it, then come back. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I had, I'm just going to read verbatim to Coach JP3's point what my 10 takeaways were and these were kind of my notes as I was like watching it so and a lot of it's kind of the similar what coach uh, K had already mentioned but number one history repeats itself but you know we don't like to learn from our mistakes when it comes to fan interaction you know obviously after COVID we saw some ridiculous behavior and people are like oh this is just unprecedented like no like there's a malice in the palace. So I don't understand why we haven't learned from our mistakes. Two, Jamal Timsley is an idiot. Everything <laughs> Coach K said, talking about go get your foul now. Like what, what, what does like what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? You guys are up by 30. Jamal Timsley is an idiot. Like um, no, I don't get it. Like because I'm like, get your foul. Like, what like, are you talking about, dude? Like, like the game wasn't even he had to be in it on two. Because And then piggybacking off that, because what watching it, you know, I totally forgot, like, as far as that game, because I was thinking, like, there was something, like, throughout the game that it was just building up to that point. But no, like, it was just a regular game. Yeah. But no, nah, this fool says, go get your foul. And that that really sparked it. So he's an idiot. Um, John Green is an a-hole. And when you watch it and you see his name oh, come yeah. up and when Absolutely. you see him talk, that's self-explanatory. I'm going to move on to the next one. Number four, I feel like the NBA is more at fault for being, you know, reactive and not proactive. Coach K, you mentioned it. I mean, they only had a few police officers in the building anyway. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, you're kind of asking for something bad to happen. Um, number five, I felt David Stern was a coward with how he dealt with it. Although he is judge, jury, and executioner, similar to Roger Goodell in the NFL at that time, for you to just take two days and then just come down with this verdict without even looking at all the evidence and taking into account everything, that's cowardly. Um, and as, um, what was his name? Um, not Jim Nance, but... Um, yeah Jim Gray as he's when they asked him they're like yeah like how did it come down so quickly and he's like well you know why (laughs) you saw the players that were suspended and you saw the person that was making a decision so you know why so to that to me that says I don't think I don't think they anticipated something like this happening but I do think they kind of left the elements there for whatever to happen to happen. Like maybe like it was a hard foul or something. I think he was waiting for something to happen so he can just suspend him and get rid of him. Mm. 
Yeah. Even well, it was another thing that's interesting. The, the Donahue was the referee. Yeah, Tim Donahue. That's the the corrupt one. And like there were always complaints about this guy. Like you have a ham ref in this particular game when you know there's a rivalry there. Hmm. Interesting. Um, number six. Yeah, the cop who didn't know who Reggie Miller was is an idiot. Oh man. Talking about oh come well, on, bro. he's, he's yeah. in a suit. I didn't know if he was a player on call. I'm like, dude, like, shut up. You know who Reggie Miller is. Stop it. You're an idiot. That was frustrating to watch. So I was like, he's he's an idiot. I'm like, like, like 16 years to come up with a better excuse. Like come that, that's all that's all yeah, yeah. Like, he's an idiot. He's like, I didn't really know who he was. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, kid. And he was like, Well, I wasn't gonna pepper spray him. Dude, the video shows you clearly having a pepper spray in your right. hand about to spray Reggie Miller in the face. Like, stop it. Um, number seven, you know, communication and accountability are essential. And you guys are going to laugh at me, but, you know, there's – I go off on certain players, one in particular, one guy in Brooklyn. But this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Coach Cage point with Ron Artest. You know, we – I mean, listen, like, I'm not saying if you need a break, like, take a break. But if you're going to take a break, take the break. This is going to go show up at the Source Awards. Like, What? Yeah, exactly. And this is what I was kind of saying. Yeah, it's like, bro, like you you reading off of the best hip hop artist award? Like, really? Oh. Like, what, like, what is going on right now? So that that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about in terms of not necessarily even what we think or what the media may say, but what goes what goes on within that locker room and the guys on your team. Because you know, people like to equate. Oh well, you know, I take PTO or or you know, paid time off or you know, I take breaks or whatever from work, but it's different because in a sports context, it's different from in a regular work environment, right? Like everybody's sacrificing and grinding to a common goal. Because as you know, they mentioned, I don't know if they would have won a title or not, but they were they had the best record in the league. Like it was a possibility. And you're like, man, like we really have a chance. But when you have people kind of like doing their own thing or, yeah, I'm going to take a break, but then they're showing up here, like that disrupts the common goal. You know what I'm saying? And it's frustrating because if you're a person on a team and you've been like grinding, putting in work, like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice and, you know, we're all in this together. And then you have certain people that aren't, that pisses you off. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I thought it was very interesting that they went into that because that's kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about certain people. So that's just an example of it. Cause again, like the team may put out a statement and say, Oh yeah, you know, we support it, but it don't matter. That's just PR what's going on in that locker room. Those dudes are pissed. Yeah. Trust me. They were left mm-hmm. to fend for like themselves. As far as like answering the questions, it was, where's Ron? Where's Ron? Where's Ron? That's, and that's not fair to them. It's like, you a grown man. Like, why am I answering for you? Like, dude, you know what I'm saying? So I thought that was, that was interesting being able to, you know, I hope people kind of caught that as they were watching it. Number eight to what coach K already said as well, you know, mental health, um, you know, was Ron Artest. I mean, it's always kind of been a thing, but of course, you know, in t- you know today's age with social media, we like to act like, oh, this is unprecedented. We've never seen this before. Like, we've seen it before. Like, that's an example right there. 
Um, even I even kind of going outside of the documentary, I even remember LeBron James after 2011, remember? Because he said he got a sports psychologist because he had that mental breakdown. Yep. And after that, that's when the whole Zero Dark 30 came into play with the playoffs. And you saw him just like reading books. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, now, oh, God. People never talk about mental health. Like, dude, this was 20 some years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, we don't want to learn from other people's mistakes. We just want to do the same thing. We <laughs> want our own thing. Um, and then my last two, Coach K already mentioned really these two. You know, Reggie Miller, you know, he definitely got robbed at the end of his career. Again, I don't know if they would have won a title, yeah. but man, I mean, I forgot like how good they actually were at that time so you know he really got robbed of a chance to to get a title and then last but not least is you know Jermaine O'Neal definitely got screwed man he even with Ron Artest being the catalyst of every not necessarily the catalyst of everything because I don't you know he was kind of reacting to a, a drink being thrown on him but still you know he was kind of the centerpiece of the whole thing but yet like Jermaine O'Neal really got dragged through the mud for the rest of his career and it's yeah. like dang dude like (laughs) and he was probably the one guy that was really the most committed to winning on the team because everybody because all of them said like yeah man Jermaine like he was always doing the right stuff and trying to get everybody in the right place and doing things and you know he's one that was really carrying the team you know from that transition from Reggie and really doing his thing but yet somehow he gets blamed as being like the bad guy and all that when really he was really the glue of the team. Yeah. Um, and, and again, after that, it was never really the same for him. It was. So it was. That, that's what, you know, that's where my 10 takeaways from, you know, watching the documentary. I don't have a lot to add, but just some sub comments, you know, what you all said, man, I, yeah, I agree with you. Jamal Tinsley, absolute idiot. I had no idea that that was part of it. I had no idea. That's that a, yeah, no, I had no idea. But I was like, what are you, what? Get your foul. Like, what are you talking? That tells me, because you got, you know who you're talking to, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it, it, it's not like they just met each other, right? So he knows Ron Artest and his mental health situation. He was, he was currently in, you know, counseling. Yeah. Right? So you most likely knew something. You knew how he would react because this wouldn't be his first time, you know, kind of reacting in, 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 a, in, a, in a very proactive, like rough way, which is why you said this is a time for you to go get your foul because you saw that Ron was upset and you said this is a chance to give it back to them. Yeah. Why would you tell someone who's unstable to go ahead and give it back to them? Because without that piece, then the little on fight, bickering and back and forth you know doesn't happen and if that doesn't happen then the whole drink on Ron Artest thing doesn't happen because there was no reason for Ron Artest to be laying on the scorer's table a lot of people blamed him for saying well why are you just laying there so close I'm like, and then when he talked about it I thought it was great that he mentioned like hey I was doing part of my counseling you know they talked to me about counting to five calming down and he said I just needed to remove myself because I knew my team wouldn't let anyone touch me, wouldn't let any other players touch me. He was just trying to chill and calm himself down. And imagine you're in a heightened state of emotion. You're trying to calm yourself down, and then, boom, you get hit with a drink from the crowd. That's why you saw the look in his eyes change, because they interrupted his process of calming down. Now he's going back up. 
Mm-hmm. And the commentator said the look in his eyes right now, you know, they commented on that look that he had because he was in another space. It just took him to a different place. It's hard to bring somebody back once they've gone to that space. And him, with him being in counseling means he, he's, he wasn't finished. He was just beginning to learn how to deal and navigate situations. And so I thought, you know, that was unfair that people kind of blamed him for sit, just saying, like, why are you sitting there anyway? Like, you know, that's just kind of showing off. And, yeah, you got hit. You're sitting right there. Like, no, that doesn't excuse. You know, he was doing what he, his counselor told him to do. And for him to go in the stands, like, no, nah, you don't want to see anybody get hit. But, like, you throwing something at someone and hitting them, is that not battery? It's all bad. Like, did that not just happen? So I – uh, and the fact that the narrative by the league and by the, the press and even what really bothered me were even analysts, commentators and reporters of color that still put the narrative on the players, yeah. on the players. That that made oh. me very upset. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, y'all should know better. Go you ahead. know who those names are, too. Yep. Yes. Steven uh, Smith, uh, Smith, uh, Smith Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> like you of all people should be able to recognize what's going on and to be able because people listen to you to be able to help navigate it's like does that mean you have to be 100 percent with the players no but you do have to be objective like in these situations mm-hmm. to be able to say yeah well, that's not what we want to see from our players in the league but we forget that he was assaulted battered and provoked to respond so it's like well what do you expect to happen with someone they knew what they were doing they knew he was already upset that's why they did mm-hmm. it and yeah one of the key things in there that i think could help players in future situations is that fans build off of player emotions and that was really key the fact that ben wallace was still chirping at ron artest for god knows how long he's throwing his headbands at ron artest one hit him Throwing it, you know, he had 50 armbands on and headbands, so he was just throwing all that stuff. And it's like, bro, be, you're at home, so the fans are going to support you and back you up, and they're going to do the precedent that you set forward. Yeah. So, like, I was really disappointed with him in that sp- aspect. But, yeah, the fact that David Stern had the ability to go up to the podium and say, yeah, we're going to hand out some suspensions here, but we're also going to crack down on our fan policies. And the thing that this documentary highlighted was what that there were several fans that were already skating on thin ice before the game, that they were already have been categorized as rowdy fans that were breaking the rules before this game even happened. And they were already on the verge of removing some people's season tickets. So you add that concern with only a couple of officers being on duty for that game. Like that doesn't add to me, right? Like, you know, you're probably gonna have to remove people that have been drinking and the one thing I didn't get at the time that makes total sense now is that they were kicking Detroit's butt, which is why Detroit was upset partially during that game. And the, some of the, the fans left and other fans from the higher, um, we just came down to the lower. So you got people that have been drinking all up there. Now they're coming down close to the court. So you had all that happening right now. Uh, David Stern really fumbled the situation. I think he's done a lot. Of, he did a lot of great things for the NBA but he truly did not have a level of cultural competency throughout his time as commissioner for the NBA no. to understand no. these dynamics that are happening. <clears throat> and him being no. the voice 
could have dispelled a lot of the hate that the players received because I think people would listen to him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the cop who didn't know Reggie Miller was Reggie Miller. That I don't understand that. Like, what other six eight bald man with big ears like that's on the 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 court with the team that's been sitting there that has played for the same team for eighteen years? Which this is probably not your first game, ref. You know, uh, being a cop against Indiana because it's kind of a rivalry in the Eastern Conference. They play each other several times a year, including last year in the playoffs, which is why this was such a chippy situation in the first place come on man don't give me you don't know who Reggie Miller is and you got your mates out to that to the fan the Detroit fan that I think there were two brothers actually like the one that Ron Artest hit like the fan squared up at Ron Artest and Ron Artest is already in and and like defense mode square up against Ron Artest you got your Pistons jersey on you gonna get hit like man why are you on the court? Like, because he explained it as somehow I ended up on the court. No, you knew you were on the court. And, you <laughs> and then you were making jokes about, like, oh, we could possibly sue for this because the police were getting their accounts and they were trying to get media attention. And then the fact that you're like, oh, well, you know, that was messed up. Jermaine O'Neal basically sucker punched me. That was a weak move. It's like, nah, man, you came out as play. You came out as player, bro. Like, come on, man. You gotta have more sense than that. Yeah, I, I will say though, when uh, when Ron Artest like hit that dude, that the the reaction on that dude's face was priceless. He was like, "Oh, I'm about to get hit." <laughs> Yo, I was like, "Man, like, what do you expect, bro?" Like, and the other dude better be thankful that Jermaine O'Neal was slipping and off balance when he connected with the dude's face, because that could have been a lot worse. Yeah. But it, it, it's really unfortunate because Indiana was actually missing, even though they made it to the finals against LA, where, you know, years before, a couple years before that, they were missing kind of those dogs on the team, that, that toughness. They were missing that level of toughness that I think if they were able to keep that team together and make it until this didn't happen, Man, they had an excellent shot at getting a championship because they had a tough team of young talent that was virtually unstoppable. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I agree with you all. Jermaine O'Neal did get a lot. He got labeled for the rest. He was never the same after this situation. Teams didn't want to take really a chance on him. I think that affected his mental, um, you know, his yeah. mental health too. You know, all of them I think were affected by it, but especially him because you're right, he did want to win. Like, Ron Artest was afraid to, to, to talk to Jermaine O'Neal because he was like, bro, I let Jermaine down because Jermaine's all about winning. He's the one that when he got drafted, he said, I want a locker by Reggie Miller. I want to learn how to do this thing. I want to learn how to, you know, the off the court, the on the court things. I want to be a winner. Reggie can teach me how to do that. The one interesting thing I did take away, and this will be my last takeaway, is Ron Artest not responding well to Reggie Miller's mentorship. And I kind of wanted to, to bring that to you all's attention to see what your thoughts about it. Cause I think Steven Jackson's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, you know, Reggie was a guy, you know, he said something we like, cool, cool. Jermaine's like, yeah, you know, whatever Reggie says, yeah, that's what we, that's what we're going to do. You know, Ron Artest was the exact opposite. It, it gave the opposite of it. Why do you think that is? Well, <clears throat> um, 
I guess it's somewhat related to that. I mean, I think another, I guess, an honorable mention takeaway for me was um, at least now Ron's or Meta's, I guess, somewhat humility now, because I think he admitted to this that like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't really handle it well back then. I did have issues you know, mentally, but it wasn't an excuse for him to act the way that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, as he said before, you know, he, he just didn't really trust anybody. Yes. So I think maybe with Reggie coming, not necessarily coming at him, but, you know, giving his guidance, maybe he's just like, he's just another dude. You know, he's just another veteran trying to tell me what to do. But in reality, he's trying to help you. So um, I think that's really the, the crux of the issue. Um, and that's really kind of my takeaway from, you know, saying, you know, communication and accountability are essential because he admitted to saying like, yeah, you know, I did. <laughs> it's not funny, but, you know, I told him I had a death of the family, but, you know, I was just trying to get away. Yeah. Well, Ron, that's probably not the best way to handle that. Or, you know, him saying, you know, he putting out his rap album and then he's going to focus on basketball. It's like, Ron, I understand maybe there's some deeper issues going on here, but, like, we need to be a bit more professional than that. And I think to his point, to his credit, he admitted that. Mm -hmm. He's you know, grown on the, a lot, you could tell. Yeah, he's grown a lot. And he said, yeah, you know, it, you know, for by the time he got to the Lakers, it kind of came full circle for him. So, you know, with him being young and, you know, just his upbringing and, you know, his mental issues that he had, I think it's just a combination of all of that. And, you know, I, I do give him credit for just admitting it. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I still feel bad now when I run into Steven Jackson and Reggie and because he's like, I, I you know, I, I kind of punked out because even him asking for mm -hmm. a trade after that. Mm -hmm kind of the same thing like you know because if i'm if I, I understood exactly how steven jackson and and um reggie and, and jermaine o'neal felt because it's like dude like you just gonna after all that you just gonna try to leave you just gonna actually get right. traded you don't try and leave like right. really run this back like, right we can do it right this time yeah we can actually do it right this time like we were actually just like you know trying to stand up to defend you you know what i'm saying because you're my teammate you know what i'm saying and now you're just gonna yeah. leave so that's a long answer to what you're saying, but I think it's a combination of all of that at that time and full circle for him. He's, you know, he's come full circle, which is good, but, and again, I give him credit for sort of admitting See, that. Go ahead, Coach K. And I, I'm going to say this. I don't, I don't know, like, the whole escapism thing. I want to say that I think his uh <clears throat> I think I think his uh mental health coach sucked because if if he's because you know remove yourself from the situation. Okay, yeah, I see what you're doing in the in the basketball game. But you know, at the same time, like there, there are some situations where you can't, where you, I guess I'm not, where you really shouldn't remove yourself. Like you should, like, you know, like man up. So like, you know what? Like, I messed up, 
because now that that would be much more better for him now versus because he's still like you say he's still dealing with some of that stuff still no, dealing he said with that, that. and he said that yeah he said that because yeah. he was like you know i i tend and that's why he asked for the trade because he's like you know looking back on it it wasn't the best way to handle it because i was just looking for a way to just kind of like mm-hmm. yeah. skate away and get out of it instead of dealing with right it. So, not to, yeah, that's, that's I mean, exactly what he said yeah and i mean like now you have to deal with that that uh that guilt <laughs> yeah you know for the rest of his career because he's like yeah i got a ring you know I mean, steve got a ring but Jermaine didn't and Reggie, Reggie did. yeah. that was his last it was yeah. he retired he was like I can't mm-hmm. like, this, I, this is it he does feel yeah. guilty about that yeah. yeah you know I forgot I until I watched it again I forgot that when he won with the Lakers that was his response after he like, dude you just won oh yeah I know right and they yeah, he felt guilty <laughs> And it was just yeah. nothing but guilt that I think he's been holding inside that he wanted to say for years. And he said, I'm going to use a public platform so these dudes know that I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that was his way of apologizing to them yep. publicly. Um, and so I remember listening to that. I was like, wow, that was interesting that he answered that way. But, you know, being younger at that time, I, I didn't really put all that together, that that's what was going on. Yep. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that makes so much sense now, um, that whole process. Quickly before mm-hmm. you move on. When I heard when when I heard Ron Artest talk about how he didn't respond well to Reggie, it made me think. For at that point in time in his life, you think about the different types of black experience that's out there, and mm. so the black experience of Reggie Miller is not the black experience of Metal World Peace, Ron Artest, but Stephen Jackson had a closer journey to run our test than, than uh, Reggie Miller. So when they talk about practice and how he, he would go at Steven Jackson, Steven Jackson is just going to go right back at you, like physical, knock you down in your face and then talk about you. You know, mm-hmm. Reggie was tough, but Reggie was tough in a different way. He had the verbal, but he was not big on alter, like physical altercation. He wasn't going to like punch a bunch of people. He wasn't going to go and do that. He carried himself a little differently. He trash talked a lot. Um, but he was tough. And I think Ron Artest saw more of himself in Steven Jackson than he did in Reggie Miller. So when Steven says something, I think Ron listens. And when Reggie says something, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that's something that is very um, intra-community driven that I don't think we address a lot is that right. when we see ourselves in each other, we tend to trust each other a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you had a mentor who wanted to help you, but can't exactly relate to you in a lot of ways because they grew up different, but they have your best interests at heart. But because there's that gap there, you don't respect them in the same way that you do the other players. When Reggie was the most equipped to help mm-hmm. all those guys out, you know, become better professionals off the court, you know, because Reggie had been there for yeah. eight years, been there, done that, seen that. You know, but had a different black experience per se. So that's kind of what I took away from that uh, part. And, and so you see the hunger of a Jermaine O'Neal was like, hey, I need that. That's what I need. I need someone like Reggie to help me become a better professional in this game. Mm-hmm. So I have a successful career. And then Ron Artest has the opposite effect. And so I think it's when we face situations in our lives, 
you know, maybe people can't relate to us 100%, but they can still help us. They can still give us some really good insight. And so mm-hmm. I really challenge people out there to think about it. Because uh, sometimes the people who grew up just like you and are like you are not the best equipped to help you. You know, they, they're dealing with mm-hmm. their own, right? <laughs> Which is why Stephen mm-hmm. Jackson couldn't really help run our test, get out of that. Yeah. Bars. Man. Bars, bars. Not- I just want to say one more thing because it's going to eat me alive if I don't say nothing. Now, I promise I'll move on. But the inherent discrimination about the fact that the NBA is, is, is like this whole thug mentality and then the whole, you know, suit dress, ca- the dress code came and like, you know, taking away like players' um, uh, individualism and, and ways to express themselves. Like, I think that that was the other big takeaway I took away from this that kind of that really kind of made me mad that David Stern did nothing but uh you know fuel the fire um to that to that um to that uh to that type of discrimination yeah like that that like that really that that set me that set me off because like I didn't really know at the time, I didn't really know why they, you know, were enforcing that whole thing. But just because the NBA got labeled by outsiders by a bunch of thugs, now you feel like you have to do something to mm-hmm. change the face of the league. That I hated that. That's all. That's all I want to say. Yeah, like a picture of it. You know, y'all. If, if you're if you're a supervisor, you know you. You know, you did something, but they know you. You know what I'm saying? Your supervisor gets approached by people outside the company and says, you know, I think you should, you know, fire this employee or I think this employee should be punished because A, B, and C. And why are you hiring these type of people? What if your employer decided not to defend you? All right, think about that. How much resentment would be there uh, in that, man. And I don't think that stuff ever healed because I don't think... Stern was the person that was reflective enough in his later days to be able to mend some of those relationships. And so yeah. I think that was something very unfortunate for, for him. Um, talking about unfortunate relationships, we got Giannis's biography dropping up. So I'm sure, sure some of you have heard about this. There's a lot of stuff in there about Jason Kidd. Uh, and there's been a big fallout with the coaching style that Jason Kidd had implemented, in particular with the Milwaukee Bucks. And so there's there's a little bit, I'll just read briefly, you know, there was a, um, you know, the Bucks lost to Charlotte on December 23rd. And so it was right before uh, uh, Christmas. And so players were thinking about, hey, you know, that we should have won that game. That was a horrible loss on our part. You know, we're going to go back to our families and come back strong. You know, people were so um, Jason Kidd had another idea and was like, basically like, y'all not going anywhere. I don't care what plans you had. Players were like, well, we already booked there, but we got plans and stuff. And he was like, no, no, no. We, we're going, I'll see you at practice tomorrow. And he ran them into the ground, um, through on the court, in the pool, uh, lifting and conditioning. And I, that really, and I, and you know, the, the interesting part about this is that I've heard two sides to this, just reading some of the comments here that people say, well, people are just getting too soft and kid didn't do anything wrong. And other people are talking about, well, kid, you know, I think has to realize what 
motivates his specific team and how he gets connects with players. And I think that makes the separates good coaches from great coaches, their ability to kind of connect with the diversity that is within their team uh, and being able to hand th handle things in its proper context. So, you know, that happened. Uh, there's not, there was a situation where Giannis pretty much got yelled at because kids said he missed an assignment and Giannis is like, no, I promise I didn't. So they go in there and watch the tape and lo and behold, Giannis was right. He did his part in the play. Somebody else messed up on assignment and he still got benched for the second half. And it's like, bro, you can't try to cover yourself just to, you made a mistake. Um, and so I think there's a, a maturity level there that kid did not show within that situation. But so those are some of the things I really uh, encourage you to, you know, if you haven't looked into it, you know, you know, type in Jason Kidd, um, Milwaukee Bucks coaching and our Giannis um, biography and read some of the stuff that's in there. Uh, it was very eye opening. Uh, so what were some of the uh, the other takeaways that you got out of this coach? Natty T? Yeah, so. Um... You know, you pretty much said a lot there already. <laughs> Thinking about it, though, my only thing is, it's a bit, I find it a bit disingenuous from Giannis to mention all this stuff about Jason Kidd in his autobiography. Because even on top of all of that, he credited Jason for, you know, pushing him to being a better player now. So I'm like, okay, which one is it? Because clearly you're targeting him in your book for whatever reason right yep. um so that's a bit hypocritical to me and then just from you know being a former athlete myself and this is another thing that kind of gets on my nerves about athletes and a certain guy in brooklyn that you guys will laugh at and i wish which coach wake up was on because he you know he was in the military because this, this is kind of the exact the example i use like you know people who are in the military there's just certain things that happen and i'm not talking about like derogatory or you know discriminatory type things i'm talking just there's just certain things that are done the way things that are done um, you know, a mentality that you have in the military that you wouldn't necessarily apply that to civilian life. Right. Absolutely. I bring that up because it's a bit disingenuous from my in my perspective that Giannis is putting this in his book. Oh, you know, they made his practice on Christmas Day. Oh, we had to run and he was yelling at us and oh, I was right on this play and he still benched me anyway. Like, okay, like anybody who's played sports at, I mean, at any level, I mean, not just professional college, high school, but I mean, at any level, like, like we've all had bad coaches. Okay. Like that just kind of, it just is what it is. Right. <laughs> you just kind of like, all right, you just take a mental note, like, all right, this coach kind of sucks. So I, you know, whatever. <laughs> and you just move on. You know what I'm saying? It's not, this big deal and for him to kind of put that in his book and to kind of share that with the you know quote-unquote civilian world if you will the people who aren't in that sports world to me is a bit disingenuous because again I could write a book on my 
some of my previous soccer coaches and it will sound just as crazy or even worse as that. But at the same time, that's just kind of, it just kind of comes with it. That's just kind of the, the culture, if you will, of sports. There's just certain craziness and just certain things that happen, you know, again, whether it be just organically, whether it just be, it being just your typical cliche coaches moments, coaching jargon whatever you want to put in there that's just kind of just part of it so again like for him to put that in his book and then you know you see people on twitter and just people who who aren't in that setting or have never been in that setting are reacting to it and yeah to you because in a work in a regular work setting where we just go to our cubicles or go to our office like yeah like if you're forcing me to work on christmas day like that is crazy (laughs) <laughs> but in a sports context like yeah i mean that happens i mean so i i don't i don't get what what angle he's going for i don't know if he's trying to get a sympathy there i don't i don't get what where that's coming from so you know that's kind of that's where my mind goes on it I, I definitely hear you there. I'll comment a little bit later, bouncing off of what you say. Coach Cal, I want to make sure you get a chance to, to chime in on this one. There is one topic I did not want to talk about. <laughs> Talking about Jason Kidd, because I don't I can't stand him. And public enemy number one for me is always Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, but um, what <laughs> I'm sorry, I know. Um, but what I was going to say was, uh, uh, and, and you said this coach Natty T was, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, giving us all this, uh, you know, putting a, a bad public image, uh, you know, I guess as far as like, you know, having to practice on, <laughs> you know, Christmas and different things like that. And, and you know, the situation where he, you know, he had to sit out the game. Um, but at the same time, like, giving the man credit for making him a tougher player. So, I mean, obviously, um, it wasn't all negative because if, if it's – if it's I mean, and it, and it did show, like, if anybody, like – if anybody wanted to win that NBA championship this year, it was definitely Giannis. So, I mean, you know, playing through – uh, playing through the injury he had, that he had gotten and um, I don't know, just like his, just his overall mental toughness. Um, I mean, it sounded like it was a cakewalk compared to, I guess, you know, what Jason Kidd had him doing sometimes, but I don't, and I'm not saying that to, to, uh, I'm not saying that because, you know, Jason, I'm not trying to defend anything Jason Kidd did because, exactly. you know, it's his, it's a, it's his new – I mean, he's new on the job, so he's probably doing what he knew to do. Um, and, you know, like now, since he's been on different teams, like, I mean, because he's been on a team with LeBron, so he's probably got a lot – he's got a lot more experience now. So, obviously, he can take that into his new position with Dallas. So, um, I I think it was just like, you know – and who's to say, like, this, this is just like one of many situations that probably happened – that's happened – like in other NBA teams. So, you know, I don't think – I just want to make sure everybody has the right perspective on this. Exactly. Um, I that's, that's, my, that's, that's my thought. I'm not trying to blow anything out of proportion. 
yeah exactly exactly and, and to your point it's not about necessarily defending jason kidd it's just to your point right not even in the nba in all team sports like again any one of us could write a book mm-hmm. on our previous coaches and it would you're gonna have to hear yeah. similar stories yeah. and it's just like look and yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> like it is what it is yeah like like I've been, there's been time like you can even put it in like the music world, you know. Like I played drums in like uh, high school bands, and uh, I got pulled off because I messed something up, and another drummer came on. I still play drums, like I'm still playing music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. it, it just it just it's it's all what you do with it. And obviously, Giannis took that and turned into like a I'd say turned into more of a positive energy. Mm-hmm. So. I had I had mixed emotions as I like read through all this and, and stuff because I thought it was interesting that players for from Brooklyn from his days of coaching in Brooklyn and coaching in Milwaukee, when they are asked about Jason Kidd, they said a lot of the players are like, is this on the record or off the record? That to me is slightly alarming that there, <laughs> there was a lot of problematic things that were happening that players did not like, did not care for, as well yeah, as people- he's crazy. He's crazy, but that's not the first crazy coach you've had. So, okay. I think I just want, I was just going to say, I wonder if a lot of the stuff he did, like, was more him demanding respect because, I mean, his first coaching job. So, and that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm kind of more or less kind of like teetering on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you when you say is this on or off the record, that's that's definitely not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Is like you know who, you know who coaches the coach, who influences the coach. Uh, what people see is often what they emulate. You know, when we grow up in households, sometimes we act like our parents because you know we're around them a lot. We act like the mm-hmm. friends that around a lot. We take things from them. Oh yeah, for sure. I think about some like I've had really bad coaching moments. Uh, but like, I've seen some really bad things in my educational career. Uh, you know, I seen, you know, kid, kid, you know, didn't turn his homework assignment in a couple of times. I was in, I was in fifth grade teacher flipped over the desk and dumped it out. He was like, cause he said, I, I lost my assignment. And this is like, he lost a couple of assignments, you know, within the last couple of months and a teacher was fed up for, I guess, various reasons, took his desk, flipped it over, poured everything out and was like, I'm sure you can find it now, something along those lines, and and then started teaching again. So we in the middle of class and, and <laughs> we were trying to pick up all his papers and some out of his desk to look for his slides, and we trying to pay attention in class. And we're like, bro, like, that's extra. Like, you ain't got to do that. Like, because right. you're not taking into no, account, like, what you may be going through at home, like, you got to think about what may be happening there. And, and this, you know, because he's done this as a pattern, but he hasn't always been like this. So something's happening that's contributing <clears throat> to not turning his assignments on time. Instead of getting, asking those questions, you decided to take it out. You chose anger and then you chose embarrassment. So like, you kind of lost that kid for the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like he ain't going to come to you with nothing now. So like, no. that's the kind of thing is I think coaches take a similar path with their athletes is that, at what point in your establishing a tough team process do you lose trust? And I think 
kid did some damage there, which harmed him for a while in the, in the coaching ranks. And I do, he's probably a different coach now. I think he will be. Uh, for those that were in the comments talking about, because you talked about Coach Natty T in different settings, you know, in the healthcare industry, they're like, I work on Christmas pretty much every year, you know, like, so not, so missing Christmas, you know, missing Christmas, not that big. A, the only part about that is, is you usually know that you're going to be working on Christmas. Right. And your supervisor doesn't let you make plans to spend time with your family and then be like, oh, by the way, yeah, you're going to be working on Christmas. Forget your plans. Mm-hmm. Right. Not at 10 times that doesn't happen, you know, and in, in, in other areas, you know, so usually they have it where, you know, they take some of the stuff, they allow only X amount of employees to take Christmas off. And then sometimes the other half will take another holiday off, another half will work just so there's some balance there. So it's not the fact that they had to work on Christmas. It's the way that it was done that I think was problematic. Like, uh, so that's what I would, I would challenge people to take into consideration when they're talking about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But that, that's nuts. I mean, it, it's, it's harsh, but it's not like Bobby Knight type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not that deep. And I wonder if Giannis meant from his, you know, I wish I could ask him this question. I wonder if he meant that Jason Kidd made me a tougher player despite what he did. Like, because I had to put up with that bullcrap, that's what made me tough. Yeah. As opposed to Jason Kidd, like, intentionally, like, working with me to make me tough. I just had to put up with so much crap that I just learned to deal with stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder which context he 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 meant that out of. That's a good point. Very yeah. good point. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But I agree. Like, why put that in your book? I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's necessary for your piece. You've done so much good that I don't think you need to include that type of stuff. Man, that's only... that's my point. Because again, like, yeah. so... no matter what, because I thought about what you're saying the context, but no matter what the context, the fact that it's specifically all Jason Kidd incidents, because mm. it's like three, four of them that they mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> regardless of context, they're like, why is, why are you pointing out these specific incidents with this one coach? Mm-hmm. So and that's all I'm saying. My, my thing though is to like Jason Kidd, It's putting him with another international star, like really what 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 we should be doing here with Dallas. Like that's that's my question. We'll see. I mean, I mean, we'll see. I mean, granted, granted, I'm sure Giannis. I don't, I don't know, man. And <laughs> I, I. I <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's better coaching options out there too yes I I do agree with you there coach I don't think Jason Kidd was the right hire for Dallas I think Jason Kidd you know if he wants to be a coach I think he should get a chance I think he's good enough to be a head coach I just don't think Dallas is the right team for him uh Luca Mm -hmm. I think may be excited on what he how he says stuff to the media he wants to keep you know, everything positive there, but he was, 
Jason Kidd was not on the top of his list. I can tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Tell you that right now. There's someone we talked about earlier show already on the staff that Luca really likes, um, who is another black male. That so if they wanted to go in the direction of, of that, would still have been a good hire, you know, for them. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how those two mesh because Luca was already having problems with Rick Carlisle's style of coaching and being verbal about that. And so I wonder if kid decides to pull something, Luca will be very verbal back to him. And what, what, what would that look like? What would mm-hmm. kid do in response to that? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, like why even put it in there? I mean, you could say, you know, my experience with uh, playing under um, coach Jason Kidd definitely made me a tougher player. And I take those lessons with me, you know, every day. Now, I, that's all you gotta say. That's all you gotta say. Just leave it at that. Yep. Yep. And it surprises me because when Giannis is talking to the media, he's usually pretty savvy about like how he says things, like the way he answered, you know, the question about Kevin Durant and, and stuff like that. He knows kind of how to take pressure off himself, give people their props um, without disrespecting people and just kind of doing his thing. Like, you know, so like I, I was surprised that this was included in this piece that he gave the thumbs up for that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, especially when you're telling stories of other people within that, because not all of them are Giannis related. Some of them are related to teammates of Giannis. I'm like, did you have their okay to include that stuff in there too? Like, you got to be very careful telling other people's stories. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's my point. That's what it is. Regardless of context, like, why are we, like, half of it even about you? Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. So we're gonna put all that in your book, like man. Let's go to the next question. Yeah, I will. <laughs> next question. Next question. We're gonna go through this real quickly. Um, if you're a current NBA free agent, which team would you sign with, and why? I'm just gonna quickly give a couple teams here. Uh, if I was a free agent, and because it kind of depends on like context of the situation. If I'm, uh, I think if I'm an uh, a veteran free agent. That's not going to require a lot of money. Just wants to get some some funds and win a championship. I can see why people would want to go to the Lakers or the Warriors um, because I think the Warriors are going to come back strong next year. They have their core pieces, but they need some complementary pieces. They need to be adding some depth, especially if they make a move to get Ben Simmons or someone. They're going to have to give up some more pieces, so they're going to need some more complementary pieces, uh, regardless if they make a move or not. I would do that uh, if I was at. I think you'll like this one, Kenny. If I was, you know, young talent that's looking to try to win, I mean, at a big in a big city, I would go to Chicago just to try to make make a name for that franchise because I think, you know, playing under Jordan Shadow is very intimidating, so that it's not fit for all players. But I think for people that welcome that type of challenge, um, I would do that. And so my top three teams would be, in no particular order, uh, Lakers, Warriors, and and Bulls. So um, we'll go with Coach 92 next. Oh, mine's pretty simple. Miami Heat. That's a good one. That's a good one, too. I like me just how my – and you guys will laugh at this, but, you know, or you may laugh at this, but just my personality and how I would approach – how I approach sports and just just the whole mindset. I love how Miami's organizations run just – from Pat Riley down to Eric Spolstra, that would fit my sort of vibe perfectly. So, no matter if I was a you know young free agent or older veteran, 
Miami Heat. That's true. And I'm in Miami. Yeah. If I was, you know, if I was, you know, I'm a, my wife's outside, but if I was a single young NBA player, definitely Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to just leave it at that. Leave it at that. No said. No said. Yep. What's understood doesn't need to be said. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, anybody right. who's been to Miami know what I'm talking about. Oh, that's right. Hmm. That's right. Coach K, if you're a free agent, where would you go? Uh, anywhere but Cleveland and Portland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're not wrong, though. You're not wrong yeah. at all. Yeah, no. uh, man, before, you know, before, um, I don't know. Like, I think this might come as a shock to some people, but I would actually say the Clippers. Um, I think Ty Lue's been able with what he's had, and especially, you know, with I think he's been able to fit together pieces amongst, you know, like Kawhi Leonard, because I feel like Kawhi is like really, and and in spite of uh, Paul George's um, ups and downs, I, I feel like I feel like Tyler's been able to to fit together. Like you know, we've seen the revival of Reggie Jackson. Um, now I think an emergence of other players too. I think that. Would, I think that would be a wow. good place to go. I can't believe you just yeah, said no. that. He's come full August, circle on Ty Lue, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. August 13th, 1025. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to give respect where respect is due now. Man. Um, that, yeah. Uh, I want to say the Lakers, but only people, only certain players. If you're like a certain player, certain type of player that can play with LeBron, I'll, because I just I think Frank Vogel sucks as a coach, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I'll just, I don't know. Um, if you want to get a ring and and can just get it going, do your job and fit in where you can, and yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, coach Natty T mentioned mentioned Miami. That was going to be my other mm-hmm. my other spot. You know, I say for LA. If so, but yeah, shooter, if you're a shooter. Go to LA and you and you just oh, yeah, for sure. like a mid yeah. contract. Yeah, go go to go mm-hmm. to the Lakers. You know yep. they're gonna need some shooters. Mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, yep. yeah, that's good. Well, we're gonna continue that because you know these moves are not over. We're gonna see some stuff happen and and here coming up soon. So anxious to see kind of what teams moves make, especially the Warriors. Uh, so we're gonna go to our last topic. Um, and that is, we'll bring a little football into this. You know, we're excited about NFL season coming up soon. Uh, and I, I want you all, I'm going to preface this by saying, our younger listeners here, I want you all to do your homework after you listen to this topic. I want you to go on YouTube and I want you to type, you know, Barry Sanders in. For those of you that didn't get to see Michael Vick play, especially in this prime, I want you to type Michael Vick in. All right. Most of you are going to be familiar with Lamar Jackson already. But our question here is, who is the more exciting player to watch between the three? I struggle mightily with this with this one, um, but I'm going to throw it to you, Coach Nighty, to to get us started. Yeah, I mean, I I came up with this question. I don't know why I did that to myself. (laughs) Um, Messed up my week, man. I was having a week until this came in. But I thought about it long and hard, and I think 
I had to pick one, I'm gonna go with Mike Vick. Mm. I wanted to, I really wanted to pick Barry Sanders first, mm-hmm. but I went with Mike Vick because, because really because he's a quarterback and you know what he was able to do with his legs and with his arm as well, as far as you know, his arm strength and being able to throw it like you know, 70 yards on a rope. <laughs> um and I think part of it for me is not to say that he was necessarily the first mobile quarterback, but he was kind of the first mobile quarterback to take it to that level. Yes. Because there were like, you know, the Randall Cunninghams before that. And, you know, um, you know, your Steve Youngs and, you know, right. those type of players. But, you know, his speed just took it to a different level to where, you know, it was something we, we never saw that before from a quarterback. Right. Whereas as great as Barry Sanders was and as much as I enjoyed watching him, we've kind of not necessarily seen what he's been able to do as a running back, but from running backs, we've kind of been able to at least. Mm. Yeah. We were able to see some my final decision on Mike Vick, but to me, like when I first came up with the question, my initial thought was Barry Sanders, but when I really sat down and thought of, thought about it and even going back and looking at some of the highlights, I was like, man, that Mike Vick play that because it was as they called it in Atlanta, it was the Michael Vick experience. Like it truly was an experience when you see a quarterback doing that. And to your point, you know, some of our younger viewers, because you have you have Lamar Jackson, you have you know, even a Patrick Mahomes to a certain degree. You have a Kyler Murray. You had a Colin Kaepernick. You had an RG three. So you know all these guys that are that have came after that. You, you know, you may look back and like, well, I mean, I guess it really wasn't that different, but like, no, like Mike Vick was the first to kind of take it to this level that we see now. Yeah. So for me, that's why I had to go with Michael Vick. It's, I, I don't know. I feel bad because I love Barry Sanders. He's my favorite running back of all time. So I feel like I'm betraying him, but I just went with Mike Vick because of that. You know, I struggle with this one a little bit because the quarterback position is different than the running back position. So there's a little bit more chance to be dynamic because you can do more with the ball. Yeah. I'm still going to go ahead with Barry Sanders. And this is me. Well, my childhood, like, yeah, you know, football, football idols, just kind of like, I, you know, when the Lions play on Thanksgiving now, it doesn't really mean anything, but no. then you had an opportunity to see one of the best running backs the NFL has ever put on the field and Barry Sanders. The reason I picked Barry is because I think Lamar is close to Michael Vick in a lot of ways. Vick had more, has more success, but we'll see what Lamar does to his group because Lamar got an MVP, you know, so like that, yeah, some Vic doesn't, but MVP. unanimous MVP, you know, Mike Vick was able to get to an NFC championship game, you know, so we'll see how, how far Lamar is able to get through his career. But I, if I look at Lamar Jackson, I said, you know what, not to say that he's better, but he reminds me of a Michael Vick 
I had trouble thinking of a running back that's close to Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. I've seen people be able to do s- certain things that Barry could do, but never have the package. Where, you know, Lamar could flick his wrist and throw the ball very far, too. He is very, very fast. He has that breakaway speed. The thing that made Barry exciting for me is because he had a nice combination of speed and power, though he wasn't known as a power back. I have never seen someone break so many tackles in my life where you mm-hmm. got dudes twice his size, like throwing them to the ground, but they can't get him down. So that's what made him exciting is because you think he's all bottled up and all of a sudden he's still on his feet and he runs 60 yards, 60 yards the other way. And is able to beat your DBs to the end zone. Like, I, I just never, I still haven't seen that before where someone could break five, six tackles on the same. And I want you, I know most of you have not seen Barry Sanders play. You've heard him, but you haven't seen him play. Please type in Barry Sanders on YouTube, highlight reel. You are seeing cats literally diving and missing him, literally knocking him around, and he's still on his feet. His balance was incredible. He's all but 5'8", running the ball. Look at JP3. Uh-oh. Did I do it? Did oh, I yeah, it? very serious. Yes. Yes. I finally did it. My initial thought, but I was like, yeah, it's very bad. I, from, yeah, it's because you know, you know what's funny? Because when we used to have sleepovers when we were kids, Coach JP3, mm-hmm. and you remember you used to play when we used to play? Yep. It was like Madden 98, Madden Madden 97, 98. and mm-hmm. we just pretty much did the screen pass of Barry Sanders, and we would just see how fast, how far we could go. <laughs> we did that for hours. Hours. We weren't even playing real games. We were playing practice mode. Sometimes. Yeah, we were just be in practice mode and be like, all right, let's see, let's all right, let's see what Barry can do. Like that's literally what we did for hours. Yeah. I got yeah. I'm like, who am I kidding, man? I I that's it's Barry for me. It is. Man, I, I'm gonna say this now. I'm gonna be done, but I I was gonna say Michael Vick too, but man, Barry, I remember like because they there was a the Minnesota like defensive coach. Like they said, they said there was no way they could simulate Barry Sanders, like how he runs. So they they basically brought chickens in the in the practice and had like the defensive players like try to <laughs> chase around chickens yeah. during practice. Yeah, that was the only the closest thing they could do to to replicate Barry Sanders. Man, I'm done. <laughs> but no, that's so true. Like they had yeah. another coach. I forget what team they played for, but hit their defensive coach was like, we would have, we would act like three of our players were the running back. So our defense had to get all three of those players down. And that was like simulating Barry Sanders being able to shift from one side of the field to another because the, it was ridiculous that, and, and the thing about it is he had a, a below mediocre offensive line for his entire career. Yep a below mediocre quarterback for his entire career. And he had, depending on the year, decent wide receivers. You know, I give a nod to Herman Moore and Brett Perryman and Johnny Morton. Those, they, were, they were good receivers. But, I mean, your best quarterbacks were what, Rodney Pete and Scott Mitchell? Yeah. Like, you know, like, so, like, I, I, Emmett Smith benefited from the offensive line. So when he does breakaway runs, they're impressive. But it's like, man, you know, there are a lot of people that could have ran through that hole. Barry 
didn't have any holes to run through. He just had to outmaneuver you to get enough free space and real estate to be able to outrun you or be able to break the tackles. Yeah. Uh, so seeing him get cut off at the sideline, back up, pivot on a dime and run all the way back to the other side of the field and still beat everybody. Is it like he's the type of person that he would do like he would get five yards and I'll be like, that's the best five yard run I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Yeah. Because he had to run 15 yards to get that five-yard run because his offensive line just let everybody through and he still was able to make it. So, you know, I think this is worth bringing up this question again. I know Coach Pace and Coach Murph out there, some of our younger coaching staff members are going to want to chime in on this and they're probably going to have a different perspective. But I definitely want you all uh, listening here to do your research on that. I have yet to see anyone in his caliber at all. At all. I mean, yeah, it's Barry, man. Yeah, I don't know who am I kidding? It's Barry Sanders, man. Anybody, there's never been another Barry Sanders. Yeah, never. Never been anyone close to him. Never been anyone close to him. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, because you look at the old school running backs, Earl Campbell was the bruiser. Like, he's just going to run into you or run you over. Barry could do that. Um, you know, Gail Sayers, Walter Payton. Uh, yeah. that had that stride that could maneuver around you, but that could finish at the goal line if a push came to shove. Like, that's Barry Sanders. And he just had this uncanny, uncanny ability to not go down. Mm-hmm. Like, I just. Yeah. <laughs> rushing records and all. He retired healthy. You know, <laughs> he just was tired of playing for a losing franchise. Uh, so there's no telling what those record books would look like if he actually kept playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the records out there, like your Emma Smith records, Emma Smith was my second favorite running back growing up. Because, uh, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan growing up. So, like, but I look at it as his records were more longevity-based. He was able to play longer, and, and playing longer at a good level is going to get you records. Barry was breaking those with a fraction of the time, right? That so, yeah. Man, right. if you put Barry, like, just put put Barry Sanders on that '90s Cowboy squad. Good Lord, Lord. he's oh. averaging two thousand yards a season. He already ran over two thousand oh. yards with the Detroit Lions offensive line. Oh, Mm-mm-mm-mm. Lord have mercy. And, and for those of you that are stats people, don't let the touchdown stats fool you. Barry got a lot of touchdowns, but also if he got tackled at the one or two yard line, he'd go out and they put Corey Schlesinger in, which is kind of like their fullback, and they punch it in the end zone. And so, like, the fullback actually kind of stole a lot of touchdowns from Barry Sanders, but Barry didn't care because he didn't care about, like, those side there. He just wanted to win. So, like, uh, don't let those stats fool you either. So, but man, uh, I, I I still miss Barry Sanders to this day. Still yeah. miss Barry Sanders. Uh, but yeah, so that's our show this week, y'all. I appreciate y'all tuning in again. Uh, keep the the uh, the comments coming. Keep the suggestions for future topics coming. I will be sure to put those on here, and we'll be getting some of our other coaching staff members uh, involved here, especially as the, it gets closer to the NFL season. Um, Got a lot of NFL ahead of us. So on behalf of Coach Natty T and the real Coach K, I'm your host, Coach JP3. Stay blessed. Stay safe, y'all. Have a great weekend. Peace.